Hello, hey, and welcome to Ask the Color Expert. My name is Elaine Travis. I am a career hair colorist, independent educator, and author of the book, A Colorful Journey. I'm here every week sharing tips, tricks, and stories that are all things hair color. Thanks for joining me, and let's get started. This podcast is brought to you by Vish, a complete color management system designed by colorists for colorists, helping salons to eliminate waste, ensure consistent color and pricing, track inventory, and maximize profit. To learn more about Vish, simply text in all capitals, get Vish with no space, G-E-T-V-I-S-H, to the number 44222 for more information. Hello and welcome back. Today I have a special guest, Angela Hall. She, I found her through social media. We connected, we were commenting on the same post and it led me to her Facebook page and what I saw on there was a story that needed to be shared. So she is giving us her time this morning to share her amazing story. One of my favorite things about this podcast and about what I do as an educator in the hair industry is I love to find people with a unique story of how they entered into this wonderful industry of being a hairstylist. And I have not found a more interesting story than our friend Angela. So welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. And I'm so excited to share your story. So let's start with you um, just, you know, saying hello and tell us what what the story was, you know, where did it start from the beginning? Um, I know that it's rude to ask a woman her age, but I do want you to share your age if you're comfortable, because that is really the best part of this whole story and what's so special about your story. So welcome. Hi, Elaine. Thank you so much. And first of all, I really do want to thank you. I'm incredibly honored that someone such as yourself would be interested in hearing. So thank you a lot. And I'm very happy to share my story as well as my age. Um, <laughs> I am 49 years old. I'm hanging in there. In just a couple of months, I'll be the big 5-0. So uh, fun time to start a whole new career. But um, as far as how I got into hairdressing or had the desire to get into hairdressing, I've always been fascinated and loved doing hair. Um, one of my earliest memories of hanging out with my mom was when she would watch television. Um, our little sofa was perpendicular to the TV. So she would be lying with her head on the armrest watching the television and I would get her to pull her hair over and I would sit on the floor behind her head and do her hair while she was watching television. God bless her. She looked like the bride of Frankenstein when I was finished with her, but she, because it was the days of like the curlers long. <laughs> And I would get it as tall as I could, but that's when I can remember doing it first. And of course, cutting all my Barbie's hair, uh, Barbie doll's hair off. I'm wondering why it didn't grow back and things of that sort. <laughs> um, and my grandmother was a beautician, as she was called. Um, and my uncles are still um, very successful salon owners in Indianapolis. Um, they have both, two of my uncles, they have large chains of salons in Indianapolis. And I was interested in doing it. 
And I can remember telling my mom, oh, well, I want to be a hairdresser when I grow up. And she wanted me, of course, to do that, that the university traditional route um, as she was not fortunate enough to go to university and my father didn't go to university. So they wanted to ensure that all of their children had university education. And I was all about that party lifestyle. So I was like, sure, because to me going to college meant having a good time. <laughs> So I did. And gosh, I had so many interests in so many things that I was one of those people that had the hardest time choosing a major because everything was great. I loved biology. I loved botany. I loved geology. I loved, did not love math, but everything else I loved. Um, I did not love business. Um, because my father was in business and I was very bored with listening to that kind of stuff all the time. So I chose English um, because in my mind, well, I like to read books about everything and what do you do in English but read books. So that's what I did. Um, funny little side note, I heard uh, a joke the other day, what can you do with an English degree? And the punchline is anything that you can do without an English degree. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I got an English degree. <laughs> um, before I even graduated university, I'd gotten um, a job in Seoul, South Korea. So I was just waiting until graduation day. I graduated moved off to Seoul, South Korea and worked a contract teaching English and also, also um, editing in the international department at the Bank of Korea. Wow. Um, shortly after, or once I finished that contract, I moved to London, England, um, and I got married and <laughs> started studying how to make soap um, and homemade cosmetics or yeah, homemade cosmetics. And my husband and I then moved back to the United States and launched um, handmade soaps and cosmetics company. Mm. This was in the 90s, long before you saw homemade soaps on every corner. So we were relatively a fresh idea, new idea. It was very successful right away. Um, we got interviewed and put in Southern Living Magazine, and it was nice. like a big splash. So it was super fun, and I learned by fire how to run a business because, again, English degree. Um, and then in 2005, yeah, 2005, my husband and business partner and I parted ways. I sold him my portion of the business, and I was still very interested in business because I had – in my mind, happenstance fallen into this. But of course, I look now and everyone in my family are business people. Um, and so I thought, you know, what best way to learn exactly how to really run a business before I start another one than to jump into corporate world and see how they do it. That was my thinking. So I started working in cosmetics in the corporate industry. And there, be there began my long history of working in the world of cosmetics. I'll condense it because it's quite boring. Don't condense it. It's not boring <laughs> at all. And you're, you're already <clears throat> being too modest. <laughs> university, university. This is not a neighborhood community college. Share the university that you got your English degree from. Well, my English degree came from the University of Tennessee at Martin. My, uh, my teachings qualifications came from Duke University. Um, that was later, actually. I did that while being in management and cosmetics. So in your I, spare time. <laughs> just, you know, in my spare time. 
Honestly, I almost got fired because I was in management. I was supposed to be managing daily and I was like sneaking off to school and studying. So I started with Keels in education for that company. I was recruited over to Luxicon, transferred to New York, um, started a long career of being transferred around. I was doing large sort of region manage or you know district management, um, moving around a lot. I've lived in so many places. Um, but that took me to Durham, North Carolina. And while I was in Durham, I thought, gosh, this is a wonderful opportunity to get my postgraduate um, certifications right here at the very best in the country's uh, certification in TESOL and te uh, teaching English to speakers of other languages um, and teaching foreign language, uh, teaching English as a foreign language. Um, it's like the top at that time, for sure. It was the top in the country and I was there. So why not? So while I was working and I was doing it on the download, hiding it from my company, because <laughs> I did not like you having interest outside of work. Um, I, I darn near gave myself a nervous breakdown because it was a year program. And I condensed it into months, oh but gosh. I finished that. Um, continued to move around, decided to take a detour, started to feel the unrest and the, and just the, this is not exactly right for me. I do love business. I love driving business. I love seeing those plus 20% over last year's. I mean, that's like manna from the gods, but still it just didn't feel right because I like hard work. But when you're in the corporate setting, hard work is not necessarily your best friend. You're, first of all, you're putting in all that graft for someone else's reward. Um, and if you don't play the, uh, a certain game, mm -hmm. you know, and I just, I don't know. It's just, it's not my bad. It's like, ugh, I don't know. I was accustomed to being like the top dog and the oily rag, not just the oily rag. So I was like, this is, didn't feel so good. So I took a little detour and I moved to Beijing, China, as, as you do. And <laughs> yeah, everybody just does that. You no, know, when you need to think, you go for a hike along the Great Wall. So I moved to China. <laughs> I noticed this. If someone else were to tell me this story, I would say, really? This but it's amazing. <laughs> like, do not hold back because I think what you think is like, oh, that's weird. That's amazing. I mean, think of how many people have not left their zip code. Oh you know, yeah. There's people listening to this right now that have never been further than an hour from their home their entire life. You're very, and I don't, I, you know, I got it in my blood. My father was a regional manager in a different industry. So I eventually just started doing what he was doing. He didn't work in cosmetics. He worked in uh, large farm animal feeds, right, for a company called Purina. Back in the day, it was called Ralston Purina. They've sold and sold and sold. I think they're part of Nestle now. But anyway, um, I was essentially doing what he did, except in a different, you know, product. I was makeup and skincare and cosmetics. Um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so I thought I just need a little detour. Um, my before I went to China, I went to work for Louis Vuitton for a hot minute, found out that was worse than, gosh, I don't want to, I The only it. good part of that is the discount I hear. I hear you get the samples for like so ridiculously inexpensive. Well, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a double-edged sword to that, but okay. <laughs> anyway, so that didn't last, but just for a flash, I was like, oh no, 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 I was, this is, this is worse than what I was doing. So I decided to take 
uh, a big breather, go across the planet and think. So I started working for Disney, Disney English. So Disney, the ears, you know, Mr. Mickey Mouse, they have English teaching schools in other countries. So I wrote to them and said, yes, I am um, a, a cosmetics professional, but my education is in teaching English. I have this thing, I have this whatever. And they were like, oh yes, please. So moved to China. I worked there for Disney for, um, for a school year. And on my days off, I spent tromping through the silk markets and, and getting clothes made and shopping for the good fakes and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, went hiking on the Great Wall, did a lot of hiking on the back country of the Great Wall, not the stuff you see in the brochures that are this big thing. We were like climbing and it was very scary because I'm not. Some sort and you're of totally alone. You know, no one. You just picked no, up and I, went by yourself. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter did the tussle. Um, she went to Thailand to teach English. And every oh, yeah. time I spoke with her, you know, we would talk on WhatsApp or whatever, one of those yeah. apps that we could talk. And I'd say, how in the world are you teaching English to people who speak a language you don't know? And she would try to explain it to me. And I was amazed by the way yes. that <clears throat> body language and activities and things like that really can yeah. work in teaching. And she said the kids were really smart and they were, they were the wealthier kids that got these classes. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. It's very expensive to have English classes, but I mean, not to get too crazy hooey hooey spiritual, but every sentient being speaks the same language. Mm. So this is just new vocabulary words in one language. <laughs> All the languages are one. And it's just a new vocabulary word. So when you're a brand new infant, you don't speak the same language as your mom. True. But she shows you a cup and she says cup and eventually you say cup. <laughs> so it's very, it's so simple. It's like anyone can do it. Excuse me, anyone can do it. But anyway, um, so I did that. And unfortunately, Beijing is so polluted. And I just spent so much time at the hospital. I was like, I can't stay here any longer. The adventure is so profound. And China was more difficult than Korea, more difficult than England, although England was a lot more difficult than I predicted. Um, Interesting. More difficult than Thailand. It just, it was so... And I can't even say the word opposite because opposite would give you some point of reference, just directly opposed to what you know, but it wasn't opposite. It was so far and, and it just, the, the differences in the strangeness was just unpredictable, but also very, in, because of that was very intellectually rewarding and exhausting at the same time. So I got very sick physically a lot. Um, I went, once I went on a, um, a camping excursion in Mongolia and I got a hangnail on my finger, but there were no, we weren't, we didn't have toilets or toilet paper or anything. Speaking of coronavirus, I totally, I know, right? This I is totally like so timely. I know exactly how it got here. When I heard that, I was like, of course it comes from there. I totally get it. But there's no toilet, no toilet paper, whatever. The smallest thing, like a hangnail, my finger blew up like this big and it was the it was an, uh, unbelievable. And we have so few antibodies as Westerners because we're so fortunate to have everything clean that we just haven't built up any defenses and I've just stayed sick. Anyway, um, then I moved back 
and then my previous boss from cosmetics contacted me and said, you know, I've got this little um, spa. I've gone to work. I've left L'Occitane. I've gone to work for this other company and I don't even want to give them airtime. They're in a class action lawsuit, so I'm not going to say who. Um, they were so terrible to their people, but they're getting sued for it right now. But she dragged me into that mess, asked me to clean up one of the locations because I was known as the cleanup girl. When it, when a manager would leave something in the worst possible array, good old Angela will come in and get everything in order, hire everybody, train everybody, clean everything, organize everything, count the inventory, monitor it, get the deposits going, clear the bank account. I mean, it was like... So I did that <laughs> and then it was, that was a temporary thing. Thank God. And then I was left. What do I do? Here I am. I have this wonderful freedom. Um, I don't have to, I could live meagerly and live small, but not have to go back to work if I want. Um, but that's not me. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but I also was like, you know, I really love Bikram yoga. I felt this calling to get trained. I want to do this. It takes nine weeks out of your life. So I thought about it, but put it aside because I could never take nine weeks off work ever. Right. Here I was at this perfect opportunity. The fates definitely put me here because I mean, in that place, because I, one of my dearest, dearest friends had a garage apartment um, outside her big monstrous home she lived in by herself. And she needed a tenant because her tenant was moving out. My home yoga studio was in that town, Houston, Texas. She said, you can live in my garage apartment, study your yoga, the rent is super cheap, so you don't have to worry about you know working on the side. So I moved into her garage apartment. I went to my home studio and amped up my yoga practice in order to go to study under Bikram himself, that master of masochism, sadist or whatever you want to call him. Um, and then I just taught English uh, on the side for extra spending money with the executives in the oil industry, all from the Middle East. Um, and I got uh, some beautiful time with my friend because shortly after I left her, she passed away. Mm. And so, where are you now? Are you in Asia doing this? This was in Houston, Texas. In Texas. Okay. So yeah. the Bikram training's right there? No. So my, my home studio to train to go to training was in Houston. And so when I got my practice to a degree, because the training under Bikram is so brutal. You have I've to have heard. I've seen videos about that. It's crazy. Yeah. So I, I did that. I went and then I got my home studio to finally write a letter saying, yes, she can go because he won't accept you if, you're if your studio doesn't write to him. So they wrote to him. I went to Thailand. I looked around at everybody half my age. I thought, what am I doing? Okay, you've really stepped in shit now, Angela. You <laughs> love yourself some adventure. This might be the death of you yet. <laughs> but somehow, some way, I made it through that. Um, and then I came back and I started teaching yoga. And then the beauty industry reached back out to me again. And I was like, oh. and I was so torn because yoga teaching health happiness calm serenity broke beauty industry in manhattan miserable stressful <laughs> exciting rewarding in a different part of my brain mm -hmm. and you know a, a 
couple extra pennies to rub together. And I love New York. So I, it was too much for me to say no. So then I went back to New York. Um, my teach, or my boss that I had previously referenced that, um, that got me to do a cleanup job, she was gone, but she started calling me because she heard I was back in business and not doing the yoga thing anymore and saying, you, you know, I'm now out of the beauty industry altogether. I'm working for a bakery company that's now just exploding across the United States. Come, I have a great regional role from you. It's based in Atlanta. And I said, you've lost your mind. I'm never moving back down south. You know, I hate the South. I mean, I'm never going back to the South. And she was like, oh, you'll come back. You'll come back. Just let me know when you want to come work for me. And I would just ignore her. And be weeks later, she'd call me. Hey, you ready to come back? I was like, Susan, I'm never going to move to Atlanta. Well, one day she caught me in just that right, right, the right moment. <laughs> she got yeah, you. She knows. She worked for that company for 24 years. She knows when it gets icky and she knows who's icky and she knows when it shows. She, she paced it correctly. And she told me, come work for me in Atlanta and you won't be there six months, probably no longer than 12 months. And I'm going to have a regional role open for you. You can move back to New York. And I said, sold. So I picked up and left my beloved apartment in the Lower East Side and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, she also said, and it won't be as much travel. You won't be away from home as much. And that has started to really wear on me. I've never- I agree. Yeah. I, I never felt that way until I turned 50. Now yeah. sitting in those cramped airplane seats with my knees bent the whole time. And never being- like- Never having a real connection to people. Right. I have people all over the world, so that's exciting. But on the daily, like grabbing a cup of coffee, I'm alone. Um, And so, and I had been that way for a long time, and that started to wear me out. I love to go, but I love connections. And I feel firmly that, you know, life is more meaningful as a shared experience. I don't care if I've been able to go to the back country in China along the Great Wall. If I don't have someone to share that experience with, it's dropped into a meaningless void. And so that really started playing on me. I had this like metaphysical, spiritual, just breaking down. And I was, sing- was single and, and I was like, well, I'm going to stay single because you can't go on dates when you're on an airplane every week. And I was managing... 37 bakeries across the Southeast. So I was on an airplane every week and I was always in Miami and always in Orlando and always in just always gone. And I was really just breaking down. So I started the search again. What, you know, where, what can I do that fulfills the business side that fulfills like I can kind of stay home. And it was difficult. I rewrote my resume, paid somebody a lot of money to write me a resume to do like IT sales because I love sales and I'm good at sales and I can drive sales and I get great results. And, and I've been good at teaching sales because I can break it down to, you know, to the most important person in your business. And that's the person we tend to pay the least who stands at the cash register. Like we pay them seven, $8 an hour and they can drive, 30% of your overall volume, you know, that's mind blowing. And the first phase of the business when people show up. Amazing. It's like, they're the, anyway. So yeah, I, I, I gave this big, um, 
speech one time at a conference. I can, I, I bet you, who believes you can buy Mercedes for $3? And everyone laughed me off, right? And I was like, I can prove it to you. And of course, I was just talking about driving incremental sales on every ticket. How many tickets do you generate a year? Add $3 to it. Can you teach this person to add $3 to it? How much is a Mercedes? Oh, wait, I've actually bought you two Mercedes, that kind of thing. You know, so I wanted something that would stimulate all of that. And, and I just started the search and I started searching and I, did a little studying and IT sales because learning that product is a little longer than learning, you know, cosmetics. So, and I just, I, I just was unsettled. Also wanting to connect with another human being. Um, I met my wife, my current wife, a uh, current, <laughs> not the <laughs> name. I've met my wife. Um, and of course she is local to here. And, um, and it was, it was very like, we just had that spiritual connection that was there and I, and I knew it. And so we got married and one fine day, and of course I was telling her all about how unhappy I was in my career, um, how unsettling it was. And then when she experienced me leaving every week and then coming home drained, nothing left to give. Don't talk to me. This place better not be dirty. You know, awful Angela that's just miserable from traveling all the time. Um, she started really wanting me not to be traveling as well. And then one fine day on an airplane between Atlanta and the Orlando airport, I experienced symptoms of a heart attack. Mm. And I thought it was a heart attack. I've had panic attacks in the past. So I didn't recognize it as a panic attack. Thank God. Yeah. My husband has had that. It's frightening. I couldn't. And it, it was very, it was terrifying. I was actually texting my wife while it was happening mm. and I was scaring her to death because I lost control of my hands and I couldn't type words and they were coming out garbled, you know, and I couldn't raise my arm to ask for the, the airline uh, staff to help me. And, someone another passenger saw me and and i was cramping up. i was like i don't know cramping up my body was cramping up on the left side so other people thought i was having a heart attack and and so it was a big drama and very embarrassing and very expensive i was like that was pardon how long ago did that happen that was one year ago february oh no end of january just a year ago okay so i went to the my uh Amy was like, if you can hand your phone to somebody, please hand your phone to somebody. So I handed my phone to one of the EMTs who was doing all, cutting my dress open in the airport. Oh my gosh. They couldn't get my heart. They couldn't get my pulse. They thought I was going. So they were going for another vein. But anyway, um, and she, they communicated and she told, um, uh, Amy where I was going to be. And so they took me to the emergency room. You know, I don't know, a $4,000 annex later. I'm <laughs> exactly. I'm I was going to say, they end up giving you, you know, the, right. the, the liquid version of an Ativan and give you a gigantic like, bill. We've been, we've been there. And same thing. He couldn't feel his hands or feet. So it's something with the, yep. I don't know what it happens, but yeah. you just feel almost like you're having a stroke yep. or a heart attack. Mouth was gone. Yeah. Eyes were twitching and glowing. It was just the creepiest awfulest thing i actually i saw it in other people in bikram yoga training there was uh, never yeah i didn't experience it but i saw other people doing it we called it the claw they would 
food like that. It was a, it, for them, it was a, um, an electrolyte imbalance. There was never a class that we took from Bikram himself that someone didn't hold out on the stretcher and they tend to Oh look my gosh. Them. We have to um, do a whole other podcast on that. Oh my God. I, I have an entire blog. I have an entire blog I wrote about China, an entire blog I wrote about Bikram. So, huh. Anyway, so that was when, and Amy drove to Orlando to pick me up and she said, I can get there faster than I can fly there. Yeah, true. Flying, whatever. And I said, okay, I'll be in this hotel. I'll take an Uber <laughs> from the ER to a hotel. And she got there, a bag full of like Reese's cups. Bless her heart. She didn't know what to do. She's a cop. She's very Aww. like, this will fix it. And so she brought me a bunch of Reese's cups and salty treats and snacks. And, and she said, we got to figure something out. And I said, yeah, I know. And, um, and so my, uh, my next hair appointment, I was actually kind of telling, you know, how people tell their hairdressers. I was kind of telling this girl what I was searching, but I didn't know what I was searching for. And see, in my mind, I couldn't do hair school, right? I, I You can't do it if you're X amount of age, years old. And I, I just, it was not achievable for me, which is why I didn't instantly go, well, I'll go to hair school. So she said the funniest thing to me, and I don't even realize, I don't think she realized she knew what she was saying. She said, I think you're going to find it, and I think it's right in front of your face. And there I was, sitting in the salon. In the salon, like, yeah. So I don't know where the idea, how it manifested into an actual statement, if I said it or if my wife said it. I don't know, but it was one month later, and I was at school full time. And, um, yeah, so that, and that brings us to today. I graduated December the 31st and it was my goal. I was like, I am not coming back to this school in the new year. I've got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. so I sat in the lab with my earbuds in, listening to podcasts, listening to hair facts, listening to you. So I was like, <laughs> just getting as much information like simultaneous to what I was doing as I possibly could because while obviously you don't become a massive, perfect success overnight, I also am 49. I don't have 40 years to slowly stretch out and just let it soak in. I'm being very aggressive about whatever I can do to get more information. I mean, I would, I'm not going to do it. I would turn my, if you, I turn my computer around, you would think that my kitchen was a cosmetology school lab. It is covered in doll heads. Wigs. <laughs> I'm practicing on wigs because I got tired of doll See, heads. But this is the difference. And this, this speaks to exactly why I am an educator now. I owned a salon for 30 years mm -hmm. and I could tell in two days yeah. who was going to make it and who wasn't yeah. the ones that as soon as there was a break in anything to do scramble to the basement and were on their phones just watching you know whatever mtv <laughs> videos nothing to do with hair yeah. always their head down in the phone always talking to a friend on the phone always the eye roll and there's a room full of heads and stands and product and i would say <clears throat> you know you're slow with foiling, jump on a mannequin head anytime. Like I'm paying you to be here to do that, you know, right. do it, be proactive. So yeah. the ones that were always up my butt watching me, why are you doing that? You know, show me why, tell me why they're now six figure colorists. The ones that have their head down in the phone are now working at a bank for minimum wage, complaining about how boring it is. So the industry didn't do right by them. 
Yeah. And that's what is so beautiful about you stepping into this world at this age. I don't, I don't worry whatsoever about your success because it's all mindset and your panic attack. Yeah. That's something that, you know, I, when I teach people say, I signed up for your course to learn about hair color and I do a lot more life coaching than mm -hmm. color coaching in my membership. Because if your head's not right, you're not going to get any of the other information and it's not going to serve you and give you results because you're not in the game. You're not all in. So you being all in, I, I would like to stay in touch and watch your, you know, your path and see how quickly you, like I see you doing something, you already have seen what's broken in the industry and you're only in it a few months. So right. you're paying attention. And the reason that you were ahead of yourself with the soap and with the all natural and everything, you're a pioneer and a doer and a thinker and you're not fearful. Like for you to travel to all those countries, fear is what's missing in you and fear is what parallel, fear is what puts the rest of the industry in that almost panic attack state. They're living their career in that paralyzed, cramped, I can't move my fingers because I can't get my head out of my ass and stop being so afraid. I am afraid. Don't get me wrong. No, you're not. No, you're not. I just do it anyway. <laughs> exactly. I mean, who isn't a little bit, oh my gosh, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. But if you just sit still and you don't even try, where does that get you? You know, yeah. you already know what yesterday was like. So yep. don't keep repeating that. Do something oh. different, you know? Yeah. You're so right, Elaine. And trust me, I've had some challenges um, since graduating with getting in there. You know, there are things about the industry at large. I'm not going to blame the industry at large. But I mean, there are just things about our programming and the mindset of the interviewer or the mindset of a business, you know, because a business in and of itself becomes a, a, a uh, like a, a whole world of itself and a whole mind of itself and it becomes a collective thought process it, and so I've been on some interviews and I've had some you know some like I don't know upset is a too strong of a word but just like a little uh, uh, feeling and and I haven't found my place yet and I'm still you know I'm looking and I'm reaching out and I'm doing all the things that I know to do I'm sure there are things I don't know to do if you see them, please tell me because I want to know them. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that's very kind. I'm, I'm, I'm very eager to get in there and get to work and find my place so I can get on with it. Well, I feel for you because I, I get a bit of ageism on the educator side. For me, as a stylist starting out, I would want someone of my age and my level of experience to be a mentor to me. But the new thought process is if you're not Insta-famous and you don't wear a big hat and you're not covered in ink and you're not, you don't have that cool factor, most people would rather follow the cool girl than the girl that actually has the answer to your question. Yeah. So when you're going on interviews, I would imagine you're running into salon owners that are younger than you. Mm -hmm. And what can happen then is they can be intimidated, not by thinking you don't know what you're doing or you're too green, but by, you know, for example, my daughter owns my salon now. So if you came into her salon, it wouldn't be, ooh, she's 49 because that's the age of most of our stylists and they're all very successful. Her thing would be more like, oh, I'm 26. How am I going to tell Angela what to do? 
you know, yeah. and yeah. there's probably a lot of that, which is unfortunate because you've had your own company, you've done all these great things. You're going to be the best employee that they've ever seen because there's a maturity, there's a passion, there's a drive. And those are the things for me, if I was still behind the chair and running a salon, I would love to have you come in and be my assistant because what I see is she survived Bikram. She can survive me because <laughs> I am not easy, you know, but I also, yeah, I also am not easy because I'm like, you have a limited time to get all this information in you to your point. Don't be, you know, kicking tires and wasting time. Get in there and be open and be, you know, be a student, be a sponge. And then you can coast and, and be busy and do whatever. Like put the time in now so that you can be successful later. And, you know, I love all those quotes that say, you know, everybody looks like a, an overnight success, but they don't see the backstory. I love, love, love your backstory. I love every single thing that you've shared. I want to be your best friend. Like oh, I, be it's so rare to meet people that are so just do it. You know, people will say to me, you're crazy. You just do it. I'm like, what other way is there to do? We go around once, you know, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm 52 years old. I started a new business at 51. Good so I feel you. what you're doing. You know, I had success behind the chair. I had success as a salon owner. Yes. Kept feeling that little peck, 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 peck to my soul of, is this it? Is this all I'm doing for the rest of my life? Is this? Every day was Groundhog Day and I knew something had to change. I didn't have a panic attack. We had an unfortunate scare with my son's health and that was my panic attack. You know what I mean? That was my, aha, this is it. This is no longer a little scratch of you should be doing something else. I kind of thought something was waiting for me, but I kept ignoring it. It's like that brick. I kept saying, the universe is throwing me a brick and I keep dodging left, dodging right, keep forging ahead. And I was miserable. Yep. And now I'm very happy. I mean, with the, with the um, exception of technology that everybody's home right now and Zoom is being a little glitchy for our conversation. Yeah. Um, but that's really my biggest problem is exactly. that my microphone was acting weird what this morning. What a blessed day in life. Yeah. That's our big problem. Yeah. You know, so tell me, tell me, I don't want to go too long because people have zero attention span, no matter how fabulous you are. Tell me about the, the cakes and the GoFundMe and that whole piece. Because <laughs> you're just so, I'm so impressed by you. Like I did a quick peek at your Facebook. I don't know you. I never met you. And I was like, I cannot wait to do this interview because there's so many layers. You're not even, we could do 12 more podcasts and still not know Angela you know, the whole story of Angela, but tell me about what you're, cause I think it's so smart. I had a conversation with my son yesterday. He has a business idea and he's a junior in college. His major is entrepreneurship. So he has oh. an idea. It's sort of in our industry. It's, it's a really awesome idea. And we were on the beach yesterday and he said, how do I even get started? Where do I get the money? And then I saw what you're doing and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait until he wakes up and I can share that idea because People want to be part of something. They want yeah. to see something grow. And we have so many friends that are terrified with what the stock market's doing right now. And they have money that they want to grow it, but they don't know what to do because they want it to be a little bit more safe and a little bit in their control. So I'm like, what better time than to get some angel investors? So I'll Absolutely. shut up and let, let you share your no, idea. No, that's fun. <laughs> well, that's also evolved because... Uh, Prior to being in cosmetology school, 
my idea was that I was going to go to cosmetology school and then, and this is going to make you laugh. And then I was going to open a salon suite, right? <laughs> Just like everybody. But once I got in cosmetology school, I was like, Oh, hell no, I'm not because, but before going in, you don't realize that you don't learn how to do hair in cosmetology school. Yes. You learn how to pass the exam. But I didn't realize that. Um, and I also had a little bit of hubris, which I, of course I do. I thought, well, even still, I can teach myself. I can be aggressive and I can, I know how to manage up. I've managed my bosses my whole life. I'll manage my teachers, but I tapped them out too. Good luck with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is that, unfortunate. They need that. They need yeah. you to teach up. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, nah, not going to work. So my idea was that the, the GoFundMe was going to be to help me get, you know, my inventory supply and that sort of thing. Um, and so when I realized I wasn't going to do that and I needed, I want to work I, and I want to work for someone because I'm also healing from all of that pain I had in that, uh, previous career because I thought I just want to be away from everybody like I don't want to be with anybody in business I don't want to deal with them but that's not actually true that was a wound and I'm healing and now I really want to be around people you know right. I love people you did a break from it which is completely understandable yeah. yeah um and so I temporarily took my go took my GoFundMe down because I thought well I'm not going to open my own standalone business but then as I start continue to learn I was like wait a minute even even so, when you're a commission uh, employee, you are your own little business within a business. It's still a business. I still have to have supplies. I need a hair dryer that's light. My arm is already hurting. Mm -hmm. you know, I've got that 15 years on the job pain already because of my age. And so, and then <laughs> at the encouragement of a friend who was such a kind don um, person who donated, she told me, put it back up. You still need supplies. You still need things. You still need this. And you're still offering, you know, I'm not asking for free money. I'm giving services for whatever, you know, you give this much, you get a haircut, you give this much, you get a haircut per month for a year. You give this much. I love that idea yeah. because people will get offended. You know, I'll see, and, and I'm one of them. I'll, I'll see a GoFundMe on come across my Facebook page and it'll be the mom of a daughter who's in cheerleading competition. Right. And she'll say, I'm starting this GoFundMe because I want to go with my daughter to the competition and I can't afford the flight. I'm like, no, you're not ill. You're not dying. Like this is not, no. I don't need to pay for you to go to your daughter's competition. But if she had said, I'm a little short on cash. I want to go on this trip, you know, donate this and you'll get, I'll bake you a cake. Like you're, you're getting scrappy. You're doing things that you have to do. So that's cute and clever. And that's giving somebody something. It's not really a GoFundMe donation. It's more of like, a yard sale or, exactly. you know, a lemonade sale. stand. This is yeah. the lemonade stand. And yes. I have been that girl from day one at nine years old. I was picking up crab apples out of the yard. Crab apples. Gross. I don't know if you have that in your part of the country. Disgusting. <laughs> You're not supposed to eat them? <laughs> no, they're terrible. I think maybe witches made things with them back in the old days. I put them in my little red flyer and I dragged them all around the neighborhood and sold them until my parents caught me. They're like, you cannot sell crab apples to our neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, why? I'm in business. So, so I put my GoFundMe back up and, and like I said, I offer services for that. I don't, I, you know, it's not in my nature, nor do I ever want to get, it's just, I'm not a free money asker person. It's, it's for, and, and, and I'm, I hope I made it clear. I might need to go look at the wording again, but, um, the, the 
donation that gets you the service is cheaper than if you just came and paid pay for the service from me. Right. So it's, it's at value as well. Yeah. The um, only other time I saw anything like that and I thought it was genius was a salon had an unfortunate fire. And we, as salon owners, unfortunately, you know, you're signing your life away when you're opening the salon and you get this insurance person and they tell you the policy and you're not reading all of that 14 pages of fine print and then something happens and it ends up not being covered. covered. So they were devastated. All their employees had nowhere to work. So they got scrappy and they, you know, talked to a salon nearby and said, can we work out of your salon, you know, temporarily while we try to rebuild? And they did the same thing. They did, instead of like, just give us money because you feel sorry for us, they said, we're selling memberships for when we open back up again. So you're yeah, pre, yeah. pre-buying, you're right. going to come anyway to get your hair done. So, you know, buy a $200 gift card and we'll give you $250 worth of services. And they raised all the capital because the client's like, hey, I'm getting $50 in services for free. I want them to open. They're my place. So it was a win-win. And I thought, wow, just sometimes just looking at things differently and getting creative because- If you try to go to a bank when you just had a devastating fire, they're not going to be in a real hurry to hand you money because you're risky, you know? So I love, I love everything, every single piece of your story. Share with people um, how to read your blog because I know as soon as we end this interview, I'm going to be binging on your blog today. So my, it's been so long since I've written in the one. Um, now the one that talks about China is called notes from a spare mind at WordPress. And I'm so going to people just type that into Google notes from a, yeah. So notes from a spare mind at WordPress or in WordPress, WordPress is, um, a blogging site. And if you can go to WordPress and search notes from a spare mind, um, and I can't for the life of me remember the name of my Bikram yoga blog. I think it's called a bendy ginger, but I'm not sure. Um, well, they can give your Facebook page. Cause I think you have all that on there as well. Yep. Yeah, so my Facebook page is Angela Hall. <laughs> Facebook. Um, Instagram is uh, Angela Hall FX. So yeah, you are such a blessing, Elaine. Thank you so much for everything. I hope I've answered your questions. You have more than an answer. I mean, I, so we're definitely booking a second podcast because Perfect. Let's do. If, if anybody listening is as intrigued by your story as I am, <laughs> I, I honestly, this is my favorite episode so far. Uh, oh my gosh. 14, you're so sweet. 14, you know, episodes so far. And this is by far my favorite because I love your energy. I love your passion. And I love that you're starting in this industry when there's so much, on you know everybody's so unsure everything's changing so much with the the solo model the the chair rental there's so much unease and and the world is so upside down with this virus but you keep on keeping on and you're so brave and so fab and i wish that people could see your beautiful skin it it is no no uh surprise that you were in the skincare makeup your your skin is flawless so they can't even see how beautiful you are because they're just listening so Thank you so much for this time, for sharing your story. And I know that we're going to be connecting again because I really want to, with your permission, I want to go on this journey with you. I want to see where you go and what you do because 
Yeah. I know it's not going to be boring or, or, you know, average. It's tumultuous right now. I need to find my salon. So if, if, if I'm putting it out there to the universe this way as well, I need that salon. And tell us where you are. What city are you in that you want to be? You want to find a salon? Because I guarantee your phone's going to blow up because salons need passionate people. You would think. I've had some interesting rejections and it's not been in the way that I predicted. I predicted it was ageism, but it hasn't come that way. It's been very interesting. Um, I live, where I live, I live in the greater Atlanta area. I need to just say it that way. My wife is a detective and she's very... Uh, protective about the exact place of where we live, but I will travel and drive. It doesn't matter the sort of commute distance. I used to commute over the Southeast. So driving across Atlanta is a short. There's nothing. I have an idea for you that I'll share when we, when we uh, wrap up. Okay. I'll hang on here and and talk to you. All right. So if you, if you're looking for a passionate, fabulous, um, (laughs) new energetic stylist, who's going to do great things anywhere in the Atlanta area, reach out to me. If you can't find Angela on Facebook, reach out to me. And this has been an absolute pleasure. This is a great start to to my day. And, uh, we're definitely going to be hearing more from you. So everyone, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Ask the Color Expert podcast. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. For more information on hair color education, please visit my website, www.expertcolorsolutions.com. See you soon.